I'm Adriana, and this is Rebel with a Cause, a podcast where I bring the cultural diversity to your space through individuality and rebel moves. Tune in to hear stories, discussions, and bites from people fueled by passion, originality, and those famous rebel moves. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Rebel with a Cause. Um, this is just one of my next um, episodes on that I obviously uh, enrich your life with every Wednesday morning. But this time I have a special guest who I had the pleasure to meet in 2019 through Couchsurfing. So to give you a bit of an idea about Couchsurfing, which is a global homestay and networking platform, which I have been using since 2014. And I met around, I think it was around 12 people I have met through this platform. But this little, oh, I'm trying to describe this this, um, awesome female. Um, (laughs) You're probably laughing there. Her name is Aurelia Isidoro who has a very interesting story and she has never shared it previously. This is her first ever podcast. I am popping her cherry, which we <laughs> previously <laughs> discussed. And uh, this cute little thing arrived in my home in Northern Ireland. And I thought, my God, this is just another one of these spoiled little American ladies. She's going to really struggle traveling through Ireland or the world and you know what following her story after she left i was seriously impressed of her journey which we're going to discuss today so welcome aurelia i am so delighted to have you on oh thanks for having me uh so before you know before we sort of delve into your stories and your journey and your travels which i am so jealous of tell me a little bit about yourself your background who you are well I am from the United States I was born here to um, immigrants Italian immigrants my parents came to the U.S. I was born just a couple of months later Um, so born and raised here but I was lucky enough that all of my family is still in Europe Most of them are split between the majority, Belgium and Italy. So as a kid, my mother would send my older brother and I, she would put us on an airplane, we'd fly across the Atlantic, (laughs) and uh, we would stay with my grandparents. And then we would drive to go see my great-grandmother who lived in Italy. So we would spend one month in Belgium, one month in Italy. Um, and it was just, that's what kind of kickstarted my love of traveling because being a kid and, um, you know, traveling by car, you know, my family doesn't come from money or anything like that, but, you know, with my grandmother, my aunts, um, it was probably the best road trip of my life. When we left Belgium, the first time we drove to Italy, we drove through Germany, France, uh, that's when I fell in love with Switzerland because we drove through Switzerland. And I'm like, where am I? What are these mountains? Like, <laughs> this oh, is yeah. incredible. This is I've never seen beauty like this ever. Um, so 
As yeah, I, I absolutely share I share your uh, love for Switzerland. I have been to Geneva twice. Oh, Geneva is amazing. It's, it's just, just so, yeah, absolutely it, share your love. It's so beautiful. But like one of the thoughts I always had in my head as I was an adult and, you know, as you start working, you know, you don't obviously have summer vacation anymore. And um, one of my goals as an adult, I'm like, you know, I'm going to work hard. I want to save enough money where I can take off for the summer and do that same kind of like drive and explore Europe. But I want to do it again as an adult so I can experience it differently. So that was kind of the idea that kind of kick-started um, my couple months, years of traveling. Yeah. So before you went traveling, so you were working, and I, I would like to understand, you know, or tell me a little bit more about what you were working at. You know, I know you have quite a bit of experience in real estate, and that's what you were doing, you know, and you were you were a bit of a high flyer, weren't you? Yeah, so I've been in real estate now going on 15 years, and um, I had a business in New Jersey, and it did very well. And I had the opportunity to go work for a company that did luxury real estate auctions, which was amazing. So I took the opportunity, I left the business I had in New Jersey, and I had to travel, and I would travel and live wherever the home was either it was in Vancouver, Canada, Scottsdale, Miami, Florida. Um, I would live there for a span of four to six weeks and I would essentially sell these beautiful mega mansions for, you know, some really well-known people. Um, so that's what I did prior to traveling. Can you, can I, you name, can you name drop? No. <laughs> uh, 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 I, I can, because it was already out in the news media, but, um, two of the big names, like the original Wolf of Wall Street, Peter Lynch, a uh, really big Wall oh, wow. Street guy. I sold his home in Scottsdale in Arizona. Um, my favorite project was for the late billionaire Wayne Huizinga. He owned oh. three Fortune 500 companies in his time. He founded Waste Management, Blockbuster, AutoNation. Um, he owned three sports teams in Southeast Florida. Um, I sold his home in last year in 2019, wow. and it was just beautiful. And that was one of my goals when I first got my real estate license 15 years ago. I said, I want to sell a beautiful mansion on the water in Florida. I'm like, I'll know I have made it when I did that. So that meant a lot to me, that sale. And you took that, and you took that off the list. I did. I checked that off my, uh, my bucket wow. list. Yeah. <laughs> So, high flyer, what does it feel like to sort of, because I, I know we had many conversations before, but. Yes. What, what, you know, what is it? Do you have that imposter syndrome, you know, whenever you're like sort of moving in those type of circles, you know, like, what am I doing here? Yeah, you know, that was kind of something that. I didn't expect to happen because when you're working, you know, I listen to a lot of motivational videos and everything just, just seems to be about, they only interview people that have made a lot of money and you're like, oh my God, yeah. you kind of like idolize these people. And now all of a sudden I was thrown into this circle. I mean, I come from New Jersey. I don't come from anywhere spectacular. <laughs> um, I was thrown into this circle and, you know, I was at a private aviation event where there's, you know, obviously at a, an airport, you know, I'm sitting on yeah. private planes and 
Um, you know, I get invited to dinners and all these different events. And it was just, that was the point that was very eye-opening for me. Um, not that I didn't enjoy it, but I didn't necessarily feel mm-hmm. like. You said it Yeah. Belong. Yeah, maybe belong because I kind of realized I was going to a lot of these events that a lot of these very high net worth people were throwing and they would spend these exorbitant amounts of money to impress, you know, the people that were there that they had invited. And um, I don't know why people feel very comfortable talking to me, but a lot of them didn't really care for the majority of the people that were there. And that's when I kind of realized, I'm like, oh my God, these people are spending all these crazy amounts of money to do all of these things and to impress people that they really don't even like. And even in building these big mega mansions, it's really to impress other people that a lot of people do that. They have the money, they can build whatever they want. Um, But a lot of it is kind of like a show, kind of like the peacock effect, I kind of like to call it. Yeah, And I just kind of realized, I'm like, there's really got to be more to life than working really hard. You make these exorbitant amounts of money and then, you know, you have to put on a show to impress people. I'm like, there's just got to be more to it. Um, And that's when I kind of realized, I'm like, you know what, I want to travel. I want to downsize because you could have all of these material things. Um, The client I mentioned in Fort Lauderdale died a billionaire. he had cancer, him and his wife, and having billions of dollars still couldn't prevent him and his wife from passing away and curing them of cancer. And they had all of these beautiful things that they left behind. And, you know, the kids already had places of their own, so they didn't want it. So it was just very, very eye-opening. I'm like, I'm working, you know, you buy all of these things and then, and then what? Like, where's the enjoyment? So I made it a priority at that point to do what I loved most. And I was always most passionate about traveling and seeing the world. Um, So when the opportunity came, I parted ways with the company. I already happened to be overseas in Europe when I parted ways with the company I was working for and my home sold right after as well. So I found myself as an adult in a position where I had no responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And I just so, took it. Yeah. So, so let's just let's just sort of step take a step back. You know. So, you you talked about you know spending all the time with these people. You know, and you're 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 making good money in it. And while you watched all these you know rich people wasting money, you were saving yours for an epic trip. Yes, correct. And you saved and saved and saved. Yeah. I really, I hunkered down. I knew I wanted to take a summer off, but keep in mind, I was at that time, I was still doing my business in New Jersey. I had a home, I had a mortgage, you know, car payment, I had bills to pay. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take this into account and I'm going to save for a few summer months. Um, And then it just kind of snowballed from there because I was saving money And I realized, I'm like, if I'm going to do this grand trip, I want to make it count. Um, So I really hunkered down. I missed a lot of events. Mm -hmm. I didn't go to a lot of 
parties that friends were throwing. I mean, I really yeah. conquered. And that sort of leads me on, you know, like this whole fear of missing out. How does the fear of missing out kind of work out with <laughs> saving up an epic trip, saving up for a trip? You know, like the two of them really don't work. I mean, listen, I love going out. When I remember when I first turned 21, I was out five days a week. I am a social person. I love being out. Um, But it it gets to a point, I guess, now that I'm a little bit older, I'm in my 30s, that when you go out and you kind of you live in the same area and you do the same things over and over again, you I don't, most people that's fine if that's what they like. But for me, I was just really craving something new. I was craving different experiences. Um, So I really decided to just take a different path. And the fear of missing out became less and less when I realized that people in my area were just doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And then the big trip happened. Yes. Which was only supposed to be a few months, which turned into much longer. <laughs> so. Right. So let's get into it. Oh, yes. let's get into it. So yeah. How long it was, what it was. Tell me all about it. Yeah. So I, like I said, I had saved up money. The plan was just a few months in Europe. So um, I went, I took my mother for Mother's Day and um, we went to go see my family in Belgium, my grandmother, my, you know, my mom's sisters, my yeah. aunts, and it was great. And then from there, I realized I'm like, I don't have to be back in the US for any particular reason. And I had never been to Spain. So I flew by myself to Spain. Um, and then right after that, two of my friends were planning a trip to Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, yeah. the UK. That's where we met, which was great. Um, you know, I hopped on their bandwagon. I joined their trip and, uh, yeah, just kept traveling throughout the summer. I had friends coming from the U S that I would meet with, whether it was in Croatia, I went to Greece, which I'd always wanted to go to. Um, I spent my birthday in Greece last year, always, always wanted to go to Greece. So that was really, that was an experience. And then, um, when summer was over, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm not ready to go home. And I spent a lot of time. I had a lot of fun. I hiked in Switzerland. So I did make it to Switzerland. I drove around for two weeks. I hiked. It was amazing. Um, But I wanted to feel like my trip had some kind of a purpose. And this became more and more apparent the longer I went on in Europe as my friends came in, you know, they wanted to come in and party, you know, which we did, which was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, But I just kind of felt like at the end of the day, it was a little empty, just going somewhere, staying in, you know, a nice hotel, you know, going to a fancy restaurant to eat, you know, good food, going to, you know, party. I'm like, I want this trip to mean something more. So I remember I was in Croatia And I just walked over down by the sea and I remember just sitting looking out and I'm like, I want more meaning to this trip. And I had a stray cat walk over to me. Um, And something, as you know, I absolutely love animals. Huge animal lover. I have a cat. I've always had pets. Um, And that's when I realized, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back to Africa, which I'd been the year before, and I'm going to volunteer. So... I left, I went to South Africa and I volunteered at a cheetah sanctuary in South Africa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
it's it's such a contrast, you know. You, <laughs> you know, you're 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 selling multi-million houses. You know, you're a high flyer. Then you spend traveling across Europe in fancy hotels. You you know, you go to Greece and Croatia, and some of your you know stories I watched. You know, you really you know you had an amazing luxury type of lifestyle. And yeah. the next thing, you're in Africa. The next thing, I am in Africa, laying in the dirt in the blazing African sun with cheetahs. <laughs> so com- I, I know. <laughs> complete 360, complete 360. But I have to tell you that and then the trip I took that we'll get into to Yemen, I took afterwards were my two favorite parts of the entire trip. I it originally was just going to spend two weeks in South Africa and then two weeks in Namibia volunteering at two different animal sanctuaries. Um, I ended up absolutely loving where I stayed in yeah. South Africa. And um, I ended up staying there about four or five months. I ended up staying there just in that one spot. And mind you, my day-to-day activities were to walk over to the farm, clean animal enclosures, feed the animals, maybe train, play with them. Um, Yeah, all in the African sun. So there really was absolutely no glamour to it. It was more of like a farm lifestyle. Very, very simple. Um, And I really enjoyed it. To be able to live very simply wear whatever I had in my suitcase, which really didn't matter because you're in the dirt (laughs) all day with these animals, um, was really amazing. And I was amazed at how much I enjoyed it. And it really just, it taught me so much because now you're working with, yes, they're predators, but since I was there for so long, they got to know me. And then, you know, the staff at the sanctuary got to know me. So they would give me additional responsibilities. I was allowed into the enclosures with some of the cheetahs. Um, They also had a few lions. They had a tiger. They had leopards as well that I would help to take care of. They had three wolves, which wolves are absolutely incredible. I mean, dogs are man's best friend, no doubt about it. Uh, that's the origin. Wolves is where they came from. Um, so it was really interesting because when you're with the animals, you're on their time frame. And they behave the way they naturally behave. And it's up to you to take the time to learn it. Each animal had their own individual personality. They had their own individual quirks. Um, cheetahs tend to be <laughs> a little sassy compared to the other cats like they tend to constantly test you especially the ones that are teenagers mm, I guess. that kind of that kind of suits you <laughs> uh-huh yeah so you know it can be a little sassy so now I had an animal kind of throwing it back at me I'm like okay all right we can do this <laughs> and then even just getting to the point with some of the cheetahs where they were comfortable enough with me where I could play with them So you're in there and you're getting these, um, they're amazing, watching them run and watching them go, these bursts of up to 60, 70 miles an hour. It was just so incredible. Um, It was, yeah, it was really, I'm trying to think of how to explain it, you know, in a way that would make sense to people, but just being able to connect uh, on that kind of a level with an animal, a wild animal. 
um, you know, that what we see is predator. Um, but being able to connect and realizing we can uh, was really amazing. Wow. that That's just, that's just science. Just, yeah, breathtaking. And I, and your stories and your pictures and everything, you know, I followed your journey and, and I could just, you know, watch in awe that in the sunsets and everything. And then you just lying there with all the different animals. That was just amazing to watch. Yeah. It Probably was really- one yeah it one was in a life one of a lifetime experience oh for sure for sure absolutely they did have um cubs they had cheetah cubs one of the cheetahs that had a litter and it was just my absolute favorite thing to do was at noon i would quickly go eat my lunch and then i would go over lay in the dirt i mean <laughs> who am i laying in the dirt the african dirt whatever's there whatever ants didn't even matter um, and then I would have these little cheetah cubs that would come over and they would cuddle and we would nap together. And that was my favorite part of the day. Just absolute favorite part of the day. But you weren't, you weren't able, you weren't allowed to share photos, weren't you? No, because there's a big thing in South Africa with canned hunting. So when it mm-hmm. comes to the babies, um, any of the cubs, um, that was the kind of stuff that we did not share because where I was, they did breed cheetahs, but they would breed cheetahs to help increase the numbers and to help diversify their genetic pool because that's a big issue that the cheetahs are facing right now. Um, but they would also breed them to release back into the wild. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with canned hunting. No, no. It's a really big problem in South Africa, actually in Africa per se. It's the trophy hunting of certain animals, um, lions, leopards, cheetahs, um, elephants, rhinos are obviously hunted for, for their tusks. But what happens with specifically canned hunting, it's not illegal in South Africa. What these people do is they take... Let's use lions, for example. They take lions and they breed the females consistently over and over and over again. And they take the cubs away right after they're born. And what they do is the tourists come in and unknowingly to the tourists, they bottle feed these cubs. They play with them. Mm-hmm. They bottle feed the cubs, yeah. um, which I think everyone's seen. A lot of people have actually done that. Don't do it. It's canned hunting because what happens afterwards is that when the lions are teenagers, they do walks with lions, which I am guilty of doing when I went to Zimbabwe. I didn't know any better at the time. Um, And then when the females come of age where they can breed, they move the females aside and they breed them. And then they take the males and obviously they keep them separate. But what they do with the males specifically, because that's the real trophy prize, is that they auction each male off to the highest bidder, whoever wants to come hunt. And um, when someone, when a hunter comes in and purchases pretty much one of these lions, um, they think they're buying a hunt, that they're going to go hunt lions. And I mean, they charge upwards of twelve, twenty, thirty thousand dollars for this kind of stuff, just to give you an idea of how much money they make. Um, What they do with the canned hunting, they will drug the lion. So the lion is easier to shoot. 
it's wary. It's not going to go as far. They go to a certain area, they release the lion, and then one or two days later, they bring in the hunter. That um, just makes those people sound even more pathetic. That they, it really, they are hunting drugs at lions. Yeah, and I a lot of people don't actually understand that this is what's going on because you have someone that's oblivious to can't hunting or doesn't really know about it, and these hunters are paying, let's just say, twenty thousand dollars for this hunt. They're flying into Africa thinking they're going on this hunting expedition, and it's really just their way of, you know, getting the actual cant hunters. It's their way of getting the kill over quickly. Oh, great. You know what I mean? You got your lion. We don't have to give you your money back. Um, the most barbaric thing they do, though, is that with a lot of them, they cut the head of the lion off and the paws, and they leave the rest. And they keep oh, usually just the head as the prize. So, did, Tell yeah. me this. Did you, did you watch any of that program on Netflix about the exotic? I did, and it, it just it, it made me sick. Because when I, as soon as you see that going on, that's canned hunting, but here in the United States. And people yeah. don't understand that. And they didn't mention canned hunting once throughout that entire program. So he actually, and they did find dead tigers on his property. He was doing the same exact thing. He was taking the babies as soon as they were born and they showed him taking the babies as soon as yeah. they were born. And I'm like, how is there not complete outrage over this? Like everyone just thinks this is really funny to watch and all these memes, but that's canned hunting here in the United States and it's not coming up as an issue. And that just yeah. completely blows my mind. It was really, I was disgusted watching that whole tiger yeah. thing. Wow. That's that's just yeah, that's pretty shocking and eye opening and you know to see that in real life and but just so you know we're moving on your next one you know your next um piece of adventure that I would like to talk about which I also which I thought you know was fascinating and looking at the pictures <clears throat> you you shared and stories and everything mm-hmm. it's a it's a part of the world I don't think I will ever visit maybe once because we will yeah you know it looks amazing and I don't think I have ever heard about this part of the world until you have exposed me to it yeah so most people had not let's talk about (laughs) most people had not heard about it and that was one of the parts of the world where I waited until after I went to tell my family (laughs) it's like hey by the way I just came back from here um, so long time ago when I was in university, I took a, um, ecology and oceanography class and we learned about an island that broke off the coast of Africa millions of years ago, um, in the Gulf of Aden, which is about 400 kilometers off the coast of mainland Yemen. It's called Socotra. And on this island, because it's been so isolated for so long, and um, there's even to this day, there's a small population, maybe 40,000 people on the entire island. Um, It's really just allowed nature to thrive on this island. And there's 700 indigenous plant and animal species that you can only find on this one island. Um, They have trees. They're well known for trees that are called dragon dragon's blood trees they look like they grow upside down and the resin that comes from them if you were to poke the trunk 
is red. Um, so hence the name dragon's blood trees. Um, they have other trees called bottle trees. Um, they have really unique species, just different animals. They have a tarantula that's blue that you can only find on that island. Um, different types of fish surround the island. Um, it's not uncommon because there's no, pretty much no commercial fishing that happens around the island. It's all just local fishermen making a living. Almost every single morning, you see dolphins freely swimming just in the water all around the mm -hmm. island. And it was just a complete slice of heaven um, that I've never experienced before ever. I knew I always wanted to go see this island, but because of not only the war in mainland Yemen, um, but the fact that of its location, the island is considered, the whole island is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And they had closed it to tourism because they were afraid of the effects of tourism for the past maybe 15 years or so. So I was one of the first tourists and planes allowed actually to go onto the island. Oh, wow. And they yeah. limit the tourists to about 20 mm -hmm. a week. Oh, okay. So very, very small. Um, they just reinstated flights prior to what's going on right now in the world, but they had just reinstated flights to the island on a very limited basis. You had to join an ecotourism tour. Um, there's only one hotel on the island, so you don't actually stay in the hotel, um, which I didn't read for the brochure fully <laughs> before I went, <laughs> but <laughs> you actually camp on the island and I've never been camping before. So it was really funny because it just like maybe a week before I went, I actually sat down to read the brochure. So I was thinking, all right, what do I need to bring? What do I need to pack with me? And it said camping gear, which I had none. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to make a run to the store and find all this camping gear. And I think that's what made me the most nervous because I had never fully camped, slept outside, not had running water, not had a running shower. and. Um, to my yeah. surprise, to my surprise, I actually loved it. I mean, just being so immersed in nature, where you just have to work with nature and whatever Mother Nature gives you, like that's what you've got to work with. Well, what was the weather like? Like even like nighttime, you know, when you were sleeping outside, was it still warm? No, it actually got cold at night. Um, oh. I went in October. Uh, the last week of October, I was there. Um, so it's fairly close to the equator. So during the day, it's an island. So it's tropical weather. It's hot. It's humid during the day. Um, at night, I think because you're outside and you're constantly in the sun, once the sun goes down, to me, it felt cold. To me, mm -hmm. the locals were, I guess, a little more prepared because they lived there. But to me, it felt cold. I remember grabbing an extra blanket or two. Um, but being able to sleep outside, I remember I would leave the mesh I would just open on my tent and being that far away from civilization and not having light pollution, I've never seen at night. The stars were so bright, mm -hmm. so bright. Like the stars, not just the moon would light, but the stars would actually light the way. I've never seen that in my life. Um, and to be with a group of people that 
I met once I got onto the island. There was someone from Italy. There was another solo female traveler from Germany. There was a young gentleman from France. And then we had the locals that obviously stayed with us and showed us around. We had two guides from Italy. Um, Being with a group of people and not having access to Wi-Fi, not having the distractions of city life, you're with this group of people, you just meet them, and we all just connected in a way that I feel if I was like, let's just say in Paris and I met a group of friends, to get to know people on that level would take so much longer. Yeah. As opposed to- Do you think because of the all the distractions that we we are sort of exposed to on a daily basis? A hundred percent. Yeah, and all of a sudden you were in an environment when there was nothing, you were present, just your energy, you as a person, and nothing to distract you. Exactly, a hundred percent. And since the island is technically Yemen, um, it's majority Muslim on the island and uh, there's no alcohol. So not only are you interacting with all of these people, you don't have the distractions, but you also don't have anyone. Everyone's of sound mind, you know, no one's drinking. Like you're getting everyone like their real selves you're getting. Um, And it was just, it was really an incredible experience to just go somewhere and to not only connect that deep, on a level with nature that I had never done before, but to kind of reconnect with humans again on that level. Mm. It sounds like a profound experience and moment in your life that will, that probably has changed a lot for you. It really has. And I think my biggest struggle with coming back home stems from being in Africa, the simpleness of being around the animals, and then going to this island, the locals were just incredible. I mean, top three friendliest people, I would put the peop- the Yemenis, I would say, were definitely one of the top three friendliest people. The island was safe. I could walk around freely as a Western woman. So all the stereotypes that I had heard prior to going completely shattered. Um, People on that island, they were so happy to see tourists. The kids had never seen tourists, some of them. So curious, so happy. How many times we were invited into homes for shy, which is tea, by complete, complete strangers. Um, They would cook for us. And when I say cook, these people that live on this island live so incredibly simple. They live in houses that they construct with stone, Um, you're either a fisherman, you're a goat herder, they have camels on the island. Um, really, really basic, basic, very simple life. Um, I remember helping one woman. She asked me to come hold the light because it was getting dark in her kitchen. She was making fresh bread for us and she was sitting there rolling out on a stone. She was rolling out the bread that she was making and then over just, a fire, just a wooden fire was how she was cooking this bread. And she was just happy to see us and making it for us. And I'm thinking, I'm like, oh my God, like this woman really doesn't have much of anything. We're complete strangers. And she has not only taken us into her home and has given us tea, she's trying to feed us now. (laughs) 
Out of the nothing, out of the nothing, the very little he she has. Like the very little that she has, she's trying to give to us. Like I almost felt guilty. Like no, I can't accept this. Like, but that's just the culture. That is the culture. The people are just so genuinely warm-hearted, kind. Um, they love, absolutely love seeing tourists and foreigners. Um, I was told it goes back to the Bedouin roots when a lot of the Bedouins would roam the desert. It was actually considered an honor to receive a guest. So that tradition still exists with a lot of these people. Yeah. Do you feel you are a lot more grateful having now traveled and having these experiences? A hundred percent. Yeah, for the smaller things. You look at the smaller things, like they're camping, you know, as far as taking a shower. Like most of these people don't even have running water. You know, to access Mm -hmm. clean water, they would have to go into a town where they would get, you know, clean water. They would put it in bottles. And it's a totally different way of life. Like we're so lucky to have the things that we have. We have running water to have a roof over our heads that's stable. We don't have to worry about it. Um, To be able to go to the grocery store and to buy an assortment of foods that from everywhere in the world, Um, you know, they didn't have that there. Yeah. So my question is, how do you come back from that to your reality? Because it's totally different. You know, it's, it's a 360 degree change. It how, is. Are you, how are you coping? Uh, I'm coping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. I'm definitely learning. It's. Um, I'm much more grateful. I look at things a lot more differently now. Um, my job, I'm back to doing with a new company. I'm back to doing the luxury real estate auctions. I do look at it differently. Um, I think I'm just learning to cope with the new normal and just learning to adapt. But um, I'm living much simpler. Um, I've kind of taken into consideration that life is just not all about work. My goal is to now make an amount of money that, you know, so I can live, um, you know, pay all my bills, but that I can genuinely live once I reach that goal every year. So that's my new reality is to make sure the bills are paid, you know, make sure I've got money in savings you know, to weather storms like what we're going through right now. And then to be able to go out, see the world, you know, meet people and really truly actually live life and not just live to work. So the only thing I have now after listening to that, which that was, that was an amazing story. And I'm really glad, you know, that I'm able to share your story because it's, it's fabulous. But what if you could give me and and obviously my lovely listeners your biggest takeaway from your trip? Biggest takeaway from my trip is um, number one to be flexible and to accept change. Be open to living more simply as well. It's really amazing when you kind of take a step back from the technology and take a step back from the world as we know it uh, and you just live more simply and just focus on things that matter to you, whatever those things are. And you focus on 
relationships instead of things, um, you look at the world differently and you appreciate a lot more. And I would tell people definitely to do that. It's much more fulfilling. Thank you very much. Um, you absolutely have lived up to the title of a rebel with a cause. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on and keep in touch. And just if anybody looking at a lovely real estate, where are you based? (laughs) (laughs) I'm based in um, Southern Florida, but we are all over the world. So if anyone has a luxury property that you need to sell quickly, um, that's where we specialize. We come in, we do luxury marketing and we help sell your home in 30 days. Oh, magic yeah <laughs> thank you very much my dear look thank after yourself you. and that we, yeah and it was so good to catch up with you take you care. as well take care bye